morning again. Uh, like I said, my name is Jesse Estern, and for those of you who do know me, you might be wondering why uh, the only staff member who is not yet a parent is talking today on a day that celebrates and recognizes parents. And that'd be a good observation. Um, but nonetheless, I am extremely honored to be up here this morning and really excited to go through what we're going to go through today. But before we begin, I'd love to start with some prayer. Um, so would you dig in with me? Jesus, I just pray that this morning, Lord, um, as we go through this scripture, Father, we would see what fatherhood looks like. God, that as the fathers in this room uh, celebrate, are celebrated today, Father, that you would um, just continue to guide us and grow us in this path of fatherhood. Lord, that as we uh, look at your word, we see this reflection of you played out in it. And Lord, I ask that this morning as we dig in even further, God, you would illuminate to us what you want us to know as you guide us in this path. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be up here. Jesus, I pray that the words up here would be yours, not mine, um, and that we would be able to uh, just, again, look at your word and be able to take it in and let it soak into our hearts. Father, we thank you for this morning. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, fatherhood. Fatherhood has been something that has been on my mind lately. Uh, if you don't know our story, my wife and I, God has made it very clear to us that our path for growing a family is going to be through adoption. That as we've gone through this, we've known it for quite a while now, um, and we've gone through the paces, right? We've gone through the paces of mourning the loss of not having our own child. We've gone through the paces of processing what it looks like to start a family with adoption. We've gone through the paces of all of that, and we are finally at this point now where both of us are extremely excited to open up our home to a child. And so over the last year, we've gone through these steps as we've walked towards this goal of adoption, that we've taken the steps legally, right? We've done our background check, we've done our home study, we've researched agencies, we've looked um, at all sorts of stories, we've talked to a bunch of people who have adopted and who have adopted especially through this agency, and we are now at the point where we have a profile that is live with an agency that specializes in domestic infant adoption. Now what this means is that uh, at any given moment, Lord willing, we could get a phone call that there's a birth mom somewhere in the States that wants to give us their child, that they have decided not to keep their child and they have wanted to adopt it out. And so and when that time comes, we will hop onto a plane and we will fly to wherever this birth family is at and we will sign the documentation, meet the birth mom, and be handed a baby which just rattles my mind. I, I, side note, last night I was talking to my wife about this, and it crossed my mind, like, this might be my last Father's Day not being a dad, which is just weird to think about. But nonetheless, we are venturing towards this moment when we will be handed a child. Now, confession, confession real quick. Um, babies scare me. I, uh, I have never been the baby person, right? Some of you in this room are the kind of people who will cross through a crowded room just to get to where there's a baby so that you can offer to hold it for as long as you can, and you know who you are. And some of you are like me, where you tiptoe around those situations because you fear that the mom will want to hand you the baby and you don't know what to do, right? That it is this moment of like, I don't, this is, this is, this is outside my comfort zone. Um, the reason, well, there's a million reasons I love doing youth ministry, but one of the reasons is that your high school, middle school students tend to bounce back a little easier, right? That they're a little less fragile, and that they don't, they don't need their head supported all the time. But nonetheless, nonetheless, it is, this, uh, it is this task that I will be walking into. It is this challenge, or not challenge, sorry, this is this opportunity to be walking into that one day, the hope is these calloused hands will be handed a baby. Right? This isn't something light. This isn't something I take for granted. This isn't something that, uh, 
that, uh, that I want to walk into um, without caution. This is something that, as I am handed a baby, something that is so incredibly precious, I want to walk into this moment as fatherhood, into fatherhood, as well as I can. And in that moment, you see, what's going to happen is Cass and I will take the baby, and we will hop onto a plane, fly back here, and we are going to take the baby to our house, to our home. We're going to bring the baby home. And in that moment, Cass and I become parents. In that moment, we become mom and dad. And so as I've been walking through this, uh, this pro- and processing this, right, we, um, I have this question that keeps coming to mind, and it is, what does it mean to be a good dad? What does it mean to enter into fatherhood well? What does it mean to do this task that God is calling dads to do in a way that honors God in this realm? And so fortunately, the Bible, the Bible is no stranger to fatherhood. In fact, fatherhood is one of the first commands we see in the Bible. We see Adam and Eve created, and God puts them in the garden, and he says, listen now, go be fruitful and multiply. Have kids, be parents, be moms and dads. And we see this fatherhood start right in Genesis chapter 1, and then we venture into the Old Testament, and we see tons of scripture where fathers did fathering really well, and fathers did fathering really horribly. But then we get to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? For three years of ministry, he constantly points us to the goodness of our Heavenly Father. That we have this example in the Bible that is a perfect guide for us as dads or for those of us who are going to become dads to look at and to mimic our lives from. And so there are a ton of verses we could pull from this morning. There are a ton of topics we could walk down when it comes to fatherhood. But this morning, we're going to land ourselves in James chapter 1. Now rewind with me for a second. It's the beginning of this year, and uh, the middle school youth ministry is preparing to do our James memory trip. What that looks like is that uh, they, both students and leaders, whoever wants to do this trip, have to memorize the first three chapters of James, recite it, and then we get to go to Disneyland for spring break. And so during this time, I have in my mind, on one hand, fatherhood, and I'm constantly thinking about what, it like, what, what it's going to be like to be a dad. And in the other hand, I have uh, James that's running through my mind. And so I'm teaching and memorizing James. And I stumble upon this verse in chapter 1. And I know I have a couple of my James students in here. And so I'm going to ask them to recite it before we put it up. Uh, what is the verse? It says, every good and perfect... Yes. Every good and perfect... Get it up for them. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. See, this morning, this morning we're going to narrow down our understanding of fatherhood. And I'm going to look at this verse, and we're going to see what fatherhood and being a good dad looks like by looking at how, the, how God the Father is the Father of perfect gifts. And this morning, I mean, there's a million gifts he gives us. I understand that, and to try to do that on a Sunday morning is impossible. And so we're going to narrow it down to three gifts that he gives us uh, as the Heavenly Father. Then as fathers, we get to mimic and reflect back to our kids. And the first of these good and perfect gifts is that God, the, the Father of perfect gifts, gives value. The Father of perfect gifts gives value. We've been talking a lot in youth ministry about our value in God's eyes. We've been talking a lot about what it looks like when we go all the way back to Genesis and we see this creation account and Adam and Eve are in the garden. They never had to question their value. 
right? They never had to wake up saying, oh, I sure hope I make it today. I sure hope I bring enough to the table. I sure hope that I will be worth it to God today. They never had to question that. They were shown value every single day, and they never had to question it. It was never something they had to wonder about. You see, what we know about God's view of us is that we are his most precious creation. Then when we go back to that creation account, what do we see is that humanity is the only part of creation that has the image of God imprinted on them. That nothing else in creation has this image of God imprinted on it. That when we look at creation, what we see is God's fingerprints, right? We see his detail, we see his creativity, we see his, uh, his ability to make and expand. When we look up into the stars, we see him. When we look at the leaves that fall on the ground, we see him. But nothing else has the image of God imprinted onto it like humanity. Now what that means, it doesn't mean we look in a mirror and we say, oh, God must have 10 fingers, two ears, and a nose. No, we're not talking about a physical appearance or a physical reflection. What we're talking about is this character of God, that we reflect God's character. That nothing else in creation can experience or express wisdom or creativity or love. Nothing else can hold justice or experience joy among a million other things that God is and that he overflowed into us, nothing else can express or experience those like you and I can. And so he holds us in this high value that he says, man, above all creation, you are my most precious. We see that when God creates every day, right? He forms the heavens and the earth, and then he gets to the earth, and he divides the sea from the land, and he puts vegetation, and he puts animals on the land. And yet at the end of all those days, he says it's good. But when he gets to the end of creating Adam and Eve, he says, man, this is very good. That you and I, in God's eyes, are very good. We are valuable above all. And then it doesn't stop there. That because of the value he saw in us, he started right off the bat by giving us these good and perfect gifts. What does he give Adam and Eve? All of creation. He goes, look, all of this is yours. Go explore it. Go study it. Go understand it. Go name it. Go enjoy it. Go have fun with it. Go find rest in it. This is all yours to have. Everything I have made, all of this stuff that you know about and you don't know about is yours to enjoy. And he starts right off by giving us these good and perfect gifts. God of everything gives his most precious creation all that he created. But then we know the story, right? Sin came in. And all of a sudden, this brokenness comes in the world. And we've talked about in youth ministry how, man, once brokenness came in, all of a sudden, value is something that we have to question, or value is something that we feel like we have to earn, right? That you have to bring something to the table, and if you don't bring it right, that you're going to lose your value. That everything you are is wrapped up in these fragile, broken, worldly things, and so our value is often weighed against that. But what we find is that our value is then always at question. Is it going to last? Will I be worth it? Will I be worthy? Or our value is placed in things, and we find our value in things that are temporary, right? I think about athletes, right? Their value is placed in what they do, but they are one injury away from losing what they find value in. I think about people who find their value in careers. Well, you're one bad decision or one economic downturn from not having your value in your career anymore. Or maybe your value's in your stuff, right? And so you look, but what do we know about stuff? Is it rots, it rusts, it disappears, it gets stolen, it gets lost? And we place our value again in these things that we're not guaranteed, but we are always chasing this value. But God's value of us doesn't stop just because sin entered the world. 
God's value of us doesn't stop just because that original sin separated us from him. In fact, the whole narrative of the Bible is God showing us how much he finds us worthy, or how much, sorry, how much he finds us valuable in that he is unveiling this plan throughout the Bible to rescue us, to redeem us, to buy us back, to say, hey, listen, here's the deal. What you are in is something you can't rescue yourself from. Uh, Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death, that we have dug ourselves such a hole with our brokenness of sin that we can't get out. We can't backfill that hole fast enough to save ourselves. And so we are hopeless and helpless without God coming in. But God comes in and he says this, God, in Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that verse because if we look at the wording, it doesn't say that God demonstrates his love for us that when we have gone 30 days without sin and have enough gold stars on the wall, he'll come and rescue us, right? It's not when we have 50% of all humanity is good enough that God will then consider coming to rescue us. It says, while we were still sinners, God saw value in you, God saw worth in you to pay the price. That while we were still rebelling, while we were still running away from him, while while we were still sinning, while we were yelling crucify, Christ died for us. And it's this value that we've been placed that our Heavenly Father has never stopped valuing humanity when we wandered away from Him. That He is the God who, in that value, still gives us these good and perfect gifts even in our brokenness and sin and even in our wayward rebellion. See, we see a Father step up and no matter what we've done, His steadfast love for us continues. He paid the price even though it cost Him dearly. See, to rescue you and I back wasn't cheap for God. It wasn't pocket change for the God of all the universe. He had to give up something he loved dearly, his son. That the price on your head was worth being paid, and God, would, God showed us 2,000 years ago that he was clearly ready to pay that because he saw value and worth in us. I love one of my favorite stories, or parables, sorry, that Jesus gives is the parable, parable of the prodigal son, right? And we look at this parable, and maybe you know it, maybe you don't, but it's the story of this son who comes to his dad, and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance, which is basically a way of saying, Dad, I wish you were dead already, because if you were dead, I'd have what is mine, and I could go and I could live the way I want to live, but you're not dead, so I would really just like my inheritance so I can leave and go hang out with my buddies. And so the dad gives him his inheritance, and the son couldn't get out of there fast enough, right? And what do we know about the story? Well, he leaves, and he goes with his buddies, and he goes, and he squanders this money with really bad decisions, and he ends up with nothing. And he gets to this point where he realizes that he has nothing, and that if he was a servant in his father's house, that he would eat better, and he would sleep better. And so he makes this decision to journey back to his dad and beg to be a servant. But what we know about the story is that it says that as he is a long ways off, His father sees him and runs to him. Now, you got to understand the culture here, okay? What the son did was an embarrassment to the family. What the son did basically makes him dead to that family. That the rest of the culture would look and say, Dad, it's okay to uh, deny your son. It's okay to kick him back out. It's okay to give him nothing. He, he He did a shameful act, and he is not welcome anymore. And so to the culture, that son is dead. But what does the dad do? He runs to him. Not to scold him, not to kick him back out, not to beat him up, but to embrace him. That The dad says, no, you don't understand. Yes, you've run away. Yes, you've rebelled. Yes, you've sinned against me. But nonetheless, you are my son. And I find value in you, even against the cultural norm. 
that the value he placed on his boy was enough that he ran out and embraced him in front of everybody else. All the neighbors, all the town knew that, saw that. And this picture of this value that this dad places starts right there, but it doesn't stop, right? We see these good and perfect gifts being uh, poured out onto the son, and we see that the father looks back and he tells his servant, he goes, oh no, it's not just enough to embrace him. Go get a robe, go get some rings, put it on him for this son of mine was lost and now he is found. May this son come home and may we celebrate. And we're not just going to stop addressing him. We're going to have this huge party tonight. We're going to kill the fattened calf and we're going to celebrate that our son is home, that there is this value, there is this worth that the father places on the son that rebelled, the son that ran away, the son that was sinful. And we see this in this parable, this idea of the father of perfect gifts gives value even when we don't deserve it. That is gift number one. Gift number two is the father of perfect gifts gives consistency. It says at the end of that verse that Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, and it says, who does not change like shifting shadows. It's kind of a weird uh, phrase there, but what commentators tend to believe is that what they mean by that is this idea that as the sun rises into the sky, illuminates throughout the day, and sets, that is constantly showing and illuminating different areas throughout the day and casting shadows elsewhere, that it is a constant change until it finally sets and repeats the next day. Now, I know here in Washington in spring, we don't know what the sun is, but we understand what illumination is, right? And we understand that in the morning, something will be lit up, and it will cast illumination on one part of your backyard and shade the other, and as it transfers throughout the day, that will change. But James is very clear here that our God is not a God of change, that our God is not a God who is going to change, that who he is is what he will be and what he will always be for eternity, The author of Hebrews states in uh, chapter 13, verse 8, says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God's love for us, his grace for us, his wisdom, all that he is, has never and will never change. That our God is consistently himself. He is the father we can count on to never change. We never have to step back and wonder who he is. We don't have to wonder if he's had his cup of coffee in the morning or what mood he's going to be in. We don't have to wonder how he'll react. He is constantly and consistently himself. And as I think about this, I say, okay, if I'm stepping into fatherhood, hopefully, what does it look like then to be a dad who is consistent? Will I parent consistently? Will my child look at me and say, dad is always the same, or will he wonder who I am day to day, right? Will I, uh, will I punish my child when they swear only to then cuss underneath my own breath? Will I lie to make my life convenient, but only to turn around and tell my child that it's not okay to lie? Will, I, uh, will the child have to look at me and, and approach me at all, will, will they feel comfortable approaching me at all times, or will they have to wonder what kind of attitude or uh, reaction I'll have? Will I be distant with work, or will I show up when I told them I will? When James gives this verse in chapter 1, it's on the heels of this discussion he's having with his audience. And the verses uh, prior to this say, God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. And then it goes on to say, do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from a father who does not change. That this culture that he's writing to, this audience that he's writing to, are wondering if everything that's going wrong, everything bad, all the temptations and sin that they are in is because of God, and and they're pointing to God saying it's God's fault. And James is saying, listen, ever since the dawn of age, God has always been this way. He has never been able to be tempted, and he does not tempt anyone, and that does not change because our God does not change. 
Our Father in heaven is consistent in who he is. Our Father in heaven is consistently everything that he promised to be back then, he will be today, and he will be forever. The Father of perfect gifts gives consistency. So the Father of perfect gifts gives value. The Father of perfect gifts gives consistency. And the Father of perfect gifts gives himself. The third gift is that he gives himself. I was thinking about this, and uh, we go back to just before COVID. My wife and I are living in Montana, and she's been uh, with Starbucks now for 15 years. We worked it out this morning, and half of that, she's been a manager at these stores. And there was this uh, day that was just a normal day. She just went into work, no big deal. And this guy comes in, this guy says, hey, um, you're the manager here, right? And she goes, yeah. And he goes, okay, you're going to have a very special visitor. You need to set time aside for him because he's going to want to talk to you. And little old Montana, little old Missoula, Montana, into this one Starbucks that my wife runs comes Howard Schultz, right? So the CEO of the biggest coffee company in the world comes into my wife's Starbucks, and she has no time to prepare. She doesn't know what questions she's going to be asked. She doesn't even know who she's talking to until he literally walks in the door, and all of a sudden, her big boss is in her store. And I got to break on my wife for a second, because in that moment, she didn't freeze. She didn't hesitate. She didn't stutter. No, she impressed Mr. Schultz with, his, with her knowledge of her store, with the numbers that she was producing, with the culture that she was building, with the culture that she was reaching in Missoula. He, she, was, she impressed him with her uh, philosophy of leadership. She impressed her, uh, him with uh, her knowledge of the area. That Howard left that building impressed with my wife, with one manager among however many stores Starbucks has, right? But the reality is, at the end of the day, if my wife got home and realized, oh, I forgot to tell Howard this. She can't just pull out her phone and call Howard, right? That to the best of her ability, she couldn't call corporate and say, hey, can you patch me through to Howard? I have this great idea. That he would not be reachable. But the reality is Howard is just one man. One man over one business, founded in one city, in one nation, in one world, just one guy. Yet my wife would have to go through layers and layers of leadership to have her ideas or her concerns or her questions land on his desk. And then the hope is that he would maybe respond. See, what James is saying, if we go back to that verse, is that the middle of that line, it says that every good and perfect gift is, come, is from above, coming down from the Father. But he doesn't just stop at the Father, right? He's not just saying he's just a dad. No, he's God of the universe because he says the Father of the heavenly lights. That he puts into perspective the God that we get to go to, the God that welcomes us in, the God who is always eager to connect with you and I the God who spun the solar system into motion, created every blade of grass in your yard, and uniquely made you to be an individual on your own, that God is eager to connect with you and I. Later in James chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That our God is patiently persistent and faithfully present. Our God is always at the door knocking, and he wants to connect with you and I. That he is not a removed God, right? How many other religious systems in the world you have to do things to approach God or you have to be good enough to approach God or you have to uh, present yourself in a way that he might welcome you in? No, our God says, listen, bust through the throne room doors whenever you want. Come crawl on my lap. Tell me a funny joke. Tell me what's sad. Tell me what makes you excited. Tell me what stresses you out or simply rest in my arms. Come talk to me whenever you want. That our God is not a God who is uh, here for us for five minutes and then gone for the next year. No, he is constantly at our conversational moment whenever we want. That we have an opportunity to engage with God in conversation, prayer, excitement. He just wants to get to know you and connect with you. He gives of himself 
daily. I read an article uh, way back this year. Um, again, as, as we've been preparing to be parents, I've been reading a lot of articles and uh, talking to a lot of people about what it's like to be fathers, especially in adoption. And I found this article, and it talked about kind of what we're talking about today, how the father, uh, as, as fathers, we get the pleasure of giving our kids good gifts. But he got to the end of the article, and he says, listen, here's the deal. It's not about the toys you give them. It's not about the clothes you give them. It's not about the trinkets you give them. All this stuff will eventually be thrown away or lost or uh, will fall apart and break. The reality is, is at the end of the day, the greatest gift your kid has ever given is not the stuff you can give them. It is the giving of yourself. That if your child realizes it wasn't that you gave them all the toys, it was that the giver was the greatest gift they've ever been given. For those of us in this room today who follow Jesus, he will continue to lavish on you and I these good and perfect gifts. But at the end of the day, it is not these good and perfect gifts that are the greatest gift you and I are given. The greatest gift is that you and I get to be with him forever. That our God, God of all creation, wants you to be at home with him forever. But until that moment we walk through heaven's gates, while we are here on earth, he continues to give us these numerous good and perfect gifts, not least, not least of which is the gift of simply being with him. The Father of perfect gifts gives us value. The Father of perfect gifts gives us consistency. The Father of perfect gifts gives us himself. As we wrap up tonight, uh, it's probably pretty clear, maybe by now, that fatherhood is very near and dear to me, right? That it's not just because of this journey that I'm going on through adoption, but it's also because I've had the opportunity uh, over the last 15, 16 years to be in leadership in youth ministries as a volunteer, right? And so I've had the opportunity to work with students all throughout these churches from here to Spokane to Montana, and I've had the opportunity to get to know them. And over the years, I have worked with students who didn't know who their dads were, right? They were a result of a bad decision one night. Or, as some of the kids I knew in Spokane, their dads literally gave the mom's ultimatum saying, hey, if you have that kid, I'm leaving you. And so they never knew who their dad were. I've worked with students whose dads were abusive. I've known kids who have restraining orders against their own fathers because they were physically abusive, mentally abusive, emotionally abusive, verbally abusive, that these dads had to be restrained from their child because of the actions they would do to their children. I've worked with students whose fathers were in ministry, pastors, and yet these fathers were extremely removed and neglectful of their own kids. That I've worked with students who have been broken by their dads. I have seen parenting styles that have caused more damage than good. I've met dads who were simply defined as a dad because they had a kid, and it meant nothing more to them. And you could see in, their, in, their, in the students' eyes that they felt like they were a burden, right? That they were not loved or cared for, that they were just there, and the dad had to take care of them because it was his duty that I have shaken the hands of those dads before. My experience long before I thought about being a dad was that fatherhood is a calling that we cannot take for granted. It is an impactful calling to lead your family in a way that reflects the example given in Scripture. Biblical parenting, biblical fatherhood. Can you imagine if we lived, if every dad in this world lived out biblical parenting, biblical fatherhood, what an opportunity it would be for the world to see a glimpse of our father in heaven? 
What an opportunity for your child to realize how incredibly loved they are by their God because their dad on earth reflects that in everything he does. What an opportunity to show your kid value because they are incredibly valuable to God and they are incredibly valuable to you. What an opportunity to be consistent in their lives by being consistent in who you are and what you do. And what an opportunity to give yourself daily to sacrifice who you are for the sake of your kid like God sacrifices all that he has for the sake of you and I, even when we are sinful and rebellious. As we wrap up this morning, I want to do something a little different. Uh, when Matt comes up here and does his sermons throughout this last series, he's been stopping at the beginning and giving us a moment for prayer to kind of collect ourselves, set our hearts, and, uh, and prepare for what the message is. Well, t- this morning we're going to flip that, and we're going to do it at the end. Because what I want to do this morning is have an opportunity for us to set our minds towards fatherhood and to go before God about fatherhood. If you are a child in this room, my hope in this moment is that you pray a blessing upon your dad. That you go to God, the Heavenly Father, and say, man, can you bless my dad as he leads his family? Thank him for your dad. Thank him for who he is. Or simply tell God your favorite part about your dad. Your Heavenly Father wants to know everything because he wants to connect with you. So tell him about your earthly dad. If you are a wife in this room to a dad or a soon-to-be dad, may you take this moment to pray your a blessing upon your husband. May you pray over his leadership uh, as he leads your family towards God and towards this reflection of the Heavenly Father. And finally, for the dads in this room, I want you to take this moment and I want you to thank God for the opportunity it is you have to lead your family for the opportunity is to have your spouse and your kids with you and the opportunity to raise them up in the discipline of the Lord. And then, and then pray for patience. Pray for grace. Pray for endurance. Pray for wisdom. Pray for strength. Pray for what it takes to be the dad God is calling you to be. I want to give you this moment in silence to do that, and then I will wrap us up for this morning. just come before you to think that the God of all the universe lets us bust through his door to talk to him about anything and everything that you take joy in knowing what your children are up to God I don't know how we got so lucky to be able to serve such a God who wants to have us in his presence at all times Father you don't need us we offer nothing to the table but you reach down and you want to connect with us even while we are sinful, even while we are rebellious, even while we run away. God, you are still there knocking at the door waiting to talk to us, waiting to connect with us, waiting to show us how valuable we are, how consistent you are and just give of yourself to us every day. 
God, I ask that as the dads in this room go forward today and, and are celebrating this day of Father's Day, Lord, that they would remember the role that they've been given, the task that they've been given, this opportunity to be your hands and feet in their family, to reflect to, you, to their children and to their wives and to their neighbors and to everybody else what it means to be valued, what it means to be consistent, what it means to give sacrificially of yourself every day. God, I pray for the strength over the fathers to wake up every morning and be the dad that you've called them to be. I pray for the grace and the patience that is required when the days are difficult. I pray for the encouragement they need when they feel like they are falling down, when they feel like they can't make it. God, I pray that you would guide them every step, Jesus, and let them know that you will never leave them alone. Father, may they be blessed by who you are today, God. And may they be blessed in their uh, venture as fathers, and may they be blessed by their families today. God, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate our dads today. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we love you. In his name we pray. Amen. Happy Father's Day, y'all.